Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Uh, man, that's crazy. But you're right. You're absolutely, you are absolutely right, man. That is, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. That's, that's unbelievable. That's amazing to me. Do you ever want your arrest for the murder of William Moore, who was the gas station attendant? But you're wrong. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice. A crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. To believe people, to believe Anyone connected to a criminal case is a difficult thing to do, and there's a variety of reasons for that. First and foremost, memories change over time, oftentimes without us even realizing it's happening. Many scientists believe that over 50% of what you think you remember is false. Suggestions, multiple retellings of a story, and time all contribute to reconstructing our recall of events in our lives. It's actually pretty scary to think about. The idea that likely half of your childhood memories are actually fabrications. Your mind missed a few things during the actual event that you're trying to remember. Then when you recall and retell your story, your brain fills in the gaps. And bam, you just forever change that memory. Then the next time you tell the story... It will more closely resemble the warped version of events, but you'll still have gaps, and your mind will fill in those gaps with whatever it thinks makes sense. And all of this is happening completely unbeknownst to you. You think you're remembering the event accurately, but what's happening is like a game of telephone happening inside your skull. It's for this reason that when I interview someone about something that has happened decades ago, I try to reconstruct the timeline using provable facts instead of emotional memories. And that's exactly what I did with Tammy Snow to figure out if Jamie had an alibi on the night Bill Little was killed. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The second reason that I refuse to take anyone at their word is simple. People lie. Not everyone, but there are a lot of factors that can motivate people to bend the truth. People will lie for their friends, they'll lie to protect themselves, and they'll lie to protect their loved ones. Whenever I need someone to really spill the tea, I look for the people that have no desire to protect or help the person that I'm asking about. And that's why I've been so interested in speaking with Danny Hartley. Danny has believed for decades that Jamie Snow murdered his best friend. So there is zero chance that he's going to lie to help Jamie. And that's the same reason that I drove down to Bloomington to talk to Tammy Snow, Jamie's ex-wife. Jamie and Tammy were already separated at the time he was arrested. In fact, he was living hundreds of miles away at the time and was in a relationship with another woman. In today's episode, I'm going to let you listen in on my conversation with Tammy. 
You're going to hear the two of us work to reconstruct the timeline of events on Easter Sunday, 1991, using known factors. You're also going to hear how Jamie's ex convinced me that Jamie is innocent. I know for a fact that we went to my mom and dad's house right down the street mm-hmm. for Easter dinner. Right. But then it got all twisted up in this first, the boy's first Easter, you know, they talked about the pictures and the picture. right because then they wanted me to prove it. And I was like, well, I have pictures, you know, I have pictures uh-huh. of the boys because they were little and they had their first Easter baskets because junior at that the time before that was two months old. Right. And Danny was like two days old. Uh huh. So they didn't get Easter baskets and all that. So, so then I was like, yeah, I can come up with pictures. And I, I was, I don't remember if the pictures. Cause you went back like the next day or another day with those pictures. Right. With whatever pictures you could find. Right. Yeah, and they weren't in the case file, I guess. There's no pictures? No, no. I just read it in your train. I could see, like, they brought you back in another day to testify, and you brought yeah. pictures. And I think the in the pictures, Junior was, like, a little baby, and Jamie wasn't in the picture or something like that. Because we were trying to find a picture with Jamie in it, uh-huh. which I don't even know why it matters. This was during the day. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, that doesn't prove he was home at night. Isn't that what I'm supposed to be proving anyway? Right. Well, well, <laughs> let me ask you just a, a couple of general questions because this this is more for me. I, I'm my field of expertise is a lot more in in behavior analysis. You know how people behave pre-offense, during an offense, post-offense, things like that, and and patterns of behavior. Jamie, I know because he told me. In the years prior to that, especially even like before he went to jail in like 86 or whatever for that other burglary, he described himself to me as a juvenile delinquent until he was 25. He said he was trouble. He was running with the wrong crowd. He was doing, he was robbing people and doing a lot of bad things during that time. He says by 91, by the time Junior was born, that he had settled down, that he was you know, he was working, he was, he was doing drywall work. He wasn't out running around in bars, things like that, that he right. was, he was a family man at that point. I mean, w- would, would you agree with that? Or what, what do you remember from that time as far as not where Jamie was a specific, specific time, but did you feel like your husband was present as a family man, as a, as a father and a husband in 91? Yeah, he was present. I mean, we weren't always, I'm trying to think of when we moved to Florida the first time, like, I think it was 90, it was in 91, but it was in the fall. But that actually wasn't the first time we moved there. Oh, so you'd moved there before. Yeah, because we moved there when Jamie's, right after Jamie's mom died. And I think he was 16 or 17 years old. Oh, way back. Okay. With my mom and dad. Uh Uh-huh. So that's how we got to, started to move to Florida. And Jamie always wanted to stay in Florida. I always came back. Uh Uh-huh. So, I mean, once we got to Florida, it was totally different. Like, he'd start a whole business, like, mm-hmm. but I can't keep the dates. You know what I mean? Like, right. the time straight in well, my and, head. And that's why I try to think of, like, I'm the same way with my, I've had, um, my father would say I've been a little too cavalier in my love life until about eight years ago when I settled down. And so there, everything is a big blur to me. Right. But I kind of track things by, like, okay, well, I remember this happened when, Parker was born or it was around the time I remember Parker being little and things like that. And so I know Jamie Jr. was born in 1990. Mm -hmm. So I guess from there, because I I know he was, in his words, Jamie was a shithead before that. Right. Prior to, you know. but And then when Jr. was born, we lived in St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. And Jamie was working down there and not doing, getting in any kind of trouble, not drinking, not doing anything. You know, when he came back to town, he was never one to go to the bars, though. So that's just not even a a thing. And you're the third person to tell me that today. Yeah, he didn't go to the bars. And if he was drinking, he was more sitting at home drinking. And right. he always did that forever. Right. You know? <laughs> he always relate. would sit home and drink a beer, you know. Right, yeah. And then the, it was more of the working and not running around with people, uh-huh. you know, by the time Junior was here. So regardless whether it was, like, you're remembering Junior's first Easter that he was able to get when he's one, when he got an Easter basket and all that. Right. 
And you said you said your sister's son was born right right before Easter, and he was born March twenty eighth of ninety. Of ninety, that's yeah, because they're like the same age. I would be really curious to look up. Nicole, can you do you have a phone you can look up? Can you look up what date was Easter Sunday in nineteen ninety? Because it moves, and a lot of times it's in April, huh? Like day of the week. Which what's the date? Oh, just the just date. put an Easter date nineteen ninety. Because it may, it may have been before he was born. I think he was two days old, actually. You think he was two days old that first year? The first. April 15th. April 15th. Oh, no. So he was two weeks. So he's about two weeks old then. Brand new, just home from the hospital. So whether it was then or whatever day, the one you're remembering, from the time Junior was born, would Jamie, just being your husband at the time, would he have skipped out on the family on Easter? No. In general, just gone to do anything, whether he's going out to hang with his friends or anything like that. No. And holidays, my kids will tell you, like, we never, like, skipped over holidays or didn't make a big deal out of holidays. We always did the same things on the holidays, Mm -hmm. you know? And it was never an issue. Like, he he didn't have any family, you know? So he was just a part of our family. He just always did... What we did, and you know, not everybody in my family gets along, right? Yeah. <laughs> but we still have holidays together right. to this day, uh-huh. you know. And if you don't get along, then you just stay, you know. The guys will stay outside; these people stay over, you know. Sure. But we've always done that. Did Jamie get along well with your family? It depended, you know, because mm-hmm. my dad like was always like, "Stop having kids." You know, I have right. five, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so. It's just my dad's not an easy person to get along with, and I would say most people don't get along with him. And your dad's the one who lived in Florida, and when he and your mom divorced, you, I think you testified that you guys didn't, at that time at least, weren't very close at all. Yeah, we didn't talk the whole time he lived down there. Mm-hmm. But So nobody really gets along with him. So I would have to say him and Jamie, good friends, probably not. I mean, but they were pretty close because Jamie, like I said, moved with our family to Florida when he was... 16 or 17 years old. Right. So. So it was your mom, though, that was up here. That's where you guys would go on Easter? Mm-hmm. Well, at, in 91, my dad lived here. Oh, he was still here then? Yeah, because he had moved there. Oh, that's right. You said He'd mom come and dad. Back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they moved and came back just as much as we moved and came back. Right. So a lot of people was like saying that Jamie was like taking off from... Yeah, that he was running from the police. Yeah, yeah, like he was trying to get out of Bloomington. No, my mom and dad started that. Uh-huh. And they still, they just moved back from Florida again. They've been down yeah. here, what, a year, two years? I, I've been trying to figure out what the draw is to Florida because your parents, back and forth to Florida. You guys, back and forth to Florida. I just talked to Denny Hendricks who just got back from living in Florida. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me about when Jamie was living in Florida and he came to visit and Jamie was doing tree work down there with some, what was his name? Shorty, he said, or something mm-hmm. like that. Shorty Day. Who's from here <laughs> and was in Florida. Right. Why is everybody going to Florida? Well, I don't know, but when we <laughs> lived in Florida, like people would randomly just show up from Bloomington. It was weird. It was like, why are you here? Uh-huh. So th- that's what I'm, what I'm wondering is, so Jamie, let's see, he went to jail he did, was it three years he was locked up in the 80s? Or it was, yeah, he was, he was in jail for like three years, right? In the 80s? Yeah, when, 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 uh, him and Mark had robbed Duke's place or whatever. And I, m- I remember, who was the guy? It was actually Danny Hartley's dad, which I didn't know because the last names are different, but apparently Duke beat the hell out of, Dan- out of Stretch. Oh, Mark. yeah, I remember that. And then Jamie got, yeah, <laughs> I remember right. that part. Right. And then Jamie got arrested and went to prison for a couple of years. And I think I, I think it was three years he said he he did for that. I'm not sure. Right. So he had been out for a couple years here in in Bloomington at the time Bill was killed. Right. He had been when he got out of prison. He lived in Missouri. Well, that's right. You guys got out. You lived in St. Louis. He he moved to St. Louis with his sister. Okay. And right. I still lived here. And then eventually we I moved down there, and then we both moved back here. Gotcha. So. I don't know how long he'd been back in Bloomington. So I'm wondering if... Because I know when Junior was born in 90, he was born in St. Louis. 
He was born. Okay, so this this is this may help things. Junior's born in St. Louis in January. January of ninety. Yeah. January of ninety. Did you guys live there long after he was born? Can't really remember how long we lived there. I was trying to think about it last night, and I can't. I mean, we well, had. I'm a, wondering. We if, had a whole apartment, and he had a job, and you know. Well, I'm, I'm wondering if Junior's first Easter, when he was two months old, he was in St. Louis. I'm sure. If you guys were in St. Louis. Yeah, that's what I'm. When I was thinking about this, because I'm like trying to figure out again how to figure out this whole first. Easter, because everybody keeps asking about that, and I was thinking about, like, Junior wasn't even, he didn't even live here. <laughs> his very first His Easter. actual first Easter. Would you guys have still maybe driven down and gone to your mom's for Easter, or would you have just done Easter there? I'm trying to think about it. I really don't know. But for sure, you didn't live a couple doors down from your parents in the, right. in the trailer court then. We did not live there. Right. So that's, you know, I know the 91 Easter is the one because, you know, my sister mm-hmm. and her husband lived down the street and I was just talking to her about it today. And she said, I, I can remember it right now. You guys coming down the street, us going to mom and dad's, you know, like I can still remember I've been, I, she had testified at the grand jury, you know, like it's not, it's, she testified for the grand jury as well. Yeah. What was, what was her name? Melissa. Melissa. Okay. So it's, it seems to me like the Easter you're remembering, pictures aside or not, had to have been 91 because in 92 right. you were in that's Florida. What, that's no. what I've been trying to say, regardless if it was Junior's first Easter or not. In the 91. 91 Easter, we lived it in Park City South, and we walked down to my mom and dad's for Easter. I guess what I hadn't thought about until just now is the fact that it had to be 91. Because in 90, in Easter, you were living in St. Louis. Right. In 92, you were in Florida. In 93, you were in Florida. 94, that's when he, Jamie, went to jail, went to prison. And by that time, Junior's four years old. Surely you're not going to mix up his first Easter when, when right. he was toddling. You know, he was four years old, been ready to go to preschool. Yeah. It had to have been 91. Yeah, I think if I hadn't have said the first Easter, this wouldn't have all got so confusing. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out Chumba Casino at ChumbaCasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary VTW void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky? in line at the deli I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It had to have been 91. Yeah, I think if I hadn't have said the first Easter, this wouldn't have all got so confusing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and lawyers are real good about twisting that I'm stuff. Like what I said around because they're not. That's why I'm saying I don't like being interviewed because I say one thing and then it's like, you know, I'm trying to explain myself for the next ten years about the first Easter. <laughs> well, and that's that's why I and that's why I wanted to come here in person, be able to sit down, and talk to you, and on the, on the phone is because usually if you give somebody a, a minute to explain and think about something. You can figure out what's actually, yeah. there's certain markers you can use, but they're not going to do that when you're on a witness stand. No, not. not. I, I can't I, even remember being on the witness stand. That's how, you know, how upsetting it was to have to get up there and do that and know that, you know, people's lives are at stake here, you know, you know, it was on me, you know, like that was a lot of pressure. I don't really even remember it. So the only Easter before Junior was four years old, that you guys were here in Bloomington was 1991. That Easter, are you convinced that Jamie was at your mom's with you 
and was with you that night. Yes. I know that. Do you, do you think that there's any chance that you would not notice or it wouldn't stand out to you if on Easter Sunday when you have Junior's the youngest, right? So you had four at home. Or wait, no. Junior's not the youngest. You're the yeah. youngest, right? <laughs> Nicole is. Yeah. Um, so you had three kids at home, including a one-year-old baby that you would have not noticed or not stood on your mind if he then left that night. I don't hours. think that I would have forgot if he left. Right. If I had been questioned about it right afterwards so many times, I think I would remember like, well, he left. Right. You know, <laughs> but they, did the police, the police never talked to you in 91 or did they? I'm sure detective. I mean, it was like right after that, that they did. So they did. That talk they to you. started all the rumors, mm-hmm. you know, they talked to my parents, you know. So you knew right away then that they were, that there was the police thought Jamie might have. I don't it. think if we, I think we, we knew they were asking about it, but I don't think we had any idea that they would actually charge him with it you know right well and so that i guess that's what i'm getting at is within a couple of weeks i don't know i'm thinking pretty soon after it you knew that they were at least suspecting that jamie killed this kid on easter sunday night and at that time there was nothing in your mind that jamie was gone on easter sunday night. where was he i mean did you always feel like I know he didn't do it because he was home with me. Right, exactly. So if I can't remember if Jamie went to the bathroom more than two times that night, right. you know, uh-huh. I probably can't remember that. Right. You know, but I know for a fact that I would remember because soon after that, I was being asked, like, was he home? Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I would know. Right. That they would, you know, be like, well, I don't know. He wasn't, you know. I mean, that makes perfect. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for memory markers from 28 years ago. It's it's things like that. What did, you know, now if it was like you had no idea Jamie was a suspect and the first time they asked, anybody asked you about it is 10 years later, I I, I wouldn't really rely on your memory at all. The only nice thing about this is that it's not just an ordinary every day. It was Easter Sunday. You know, so there's a little bit of right. something to help mm-hmm. kind of kind of implant that. I mean, it was like a big news story, right? In Bloomington, it right. was on the news right as soon as it happened. Mm-hmm. So that alone, I would would remember if Jamie wasn't there. <laughs> you know? Right? Yeah. Especially because I mean, there was another armed robbery that you know he was involved in. Well, I mean, if I was asked before. about it two days later, right? You know, I would be like, what? You know, right. in all your years with Jamie after that, did you ever have a conversation with him about it? Like you said, uh, you testified there was rumors. People were spreading rumors saying he did it. Did you ever yeah, ask I mean, we, him? Did you do it? We or? talked about it. Uh-huh. I mean, I never asked him if he did it. I mean, why didn't you ask him if he did it? Because I knew he didn't do it. You know, I knew he right. was home. Mm-hmm. So it would we would talk about like, this is crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just always, and I was very obviously naive back then because I didn't worry about it, you know? Right. We didn't worry about it. We didn't like it, mm-hmm. but we weren't, you know, scared about it because you naturally assume that there's no, nothing that is going to say that he was involved in that. Right. You because know? he was at home with you. Right. There was nothing saying Jamie was there at all. So how would he get arrested for it? And then it happened. So, right. you know, I think back on it and all the times I sat in there and talked to these cops, you know, back to him like, I don't care. You know, I was pretty naive because at some point my sister-in-law got arrested and, you know, that could have been me. Right. They could have picked me. Did they, it sounds like, did they just pick her because they needed somebody with a car? And we still don't know why they picked her. I mean, the only thing, and I've told Jamie this, the only thing I can think of that would make them think of Susan, because 
Jamie and Susan didn't ever hang out together. That was my brother's wife. Mm-hmm. And Jamie was my husband. They didn't never hang out together, you know. So I remember one time when I got pulled over and they took us downtown and, you know, put me in the room and did all this, you know, cop come in, to go out and come back out. And Susan was with me. So I don't know if they had her in a different room. I, I just figured right. she was waiting on me. But then, you know, they left me in there and they came back in. They said, we're going to let Susan come in here and talk to you. I'm like, okay. You know, and she came in and she was freaking out. And <laughs> She was like, she was, she said, you've got to tell them something. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, they said they have a warrant for your arrest that for murder. And, you know, they said, you're going to Dwight. You're never going to see your kids. I'm like, Susan, stop, you know. That's crazy. And she was like, no, I'm serious. Like they're saying, and I'm like, why does that, how does that make any sense? That I would tell them I know something about something I know nothing about to get not arrested for, you know what I mean? Like I'm trying to like calm her down and be like, listen, I know they can be scary, but that doesn't make any sense. You know, I don't have anything to tell them. You know, just but it's a common game, and that's how. And I people. wonder if at that point they were like, she might, right? Because she's too, she's in there like tell them something. I don't care what you tell them, you know. And I'm like, no, that's that's dumb. Well, and that's how, you know people think that false confessions don't happen, but they do, and that's how they happen. Yeah, it's when I they mean, take people in and they they find the right people, and they convince them that. They are going to have a big consequence if they don't tell them what they want to hear, especially in cases like this where they don't have any evidence. And so they need somebody to say he did it. And like, I feel like, and I haven't even been through Susan's trial transcripts yet, but I feel like she was drug into it because she thought they thought maybe she was weak, weak a little bit. They saw, I didn't know that story mm-hmm. that she was scared enough that they could convince her if we charge her. She will then tell a story about Jamie right. in exchange for a deal so she doesn't go down for murder. And I'm sure she really threw him for a loop when she took it to trial. I'm and sure. Do it. I mean, I I think we were all surprised when, you know, she didn't. Right. I would probably wouldn't have blamed her at that point. She was pregnant. She she didn't, you know, deserve to be there. But before I get into the what you mentioned earlier about some of the threats and some of the stuff you've you've talked a little bit about as far as the police kind of harassing you or putting pressure on you. Last thing I want to know about that time frame. Do you ever remember a time where you and Jamie were putting golf tee bags together? Well, we used to do that for... For extra money? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. My mom did it. She worked for the place, and she would bring them home, and we'd put them together. It's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I thought it was. I thought it was great when... Jamie was explaining it to me. So we know in 90, you're in St. Louis and Jamie goes to jail in April of 91. And then when he gets out, you guys go to Florida. So there's kind of this window in, you know, kind of the winter of 91 in the spring leading up to when Bill was killed. Do you think that was that the period of time when you guys were doing those golf tee things? I know that was because my mom lived right down the street and she was working for Anthony Saluto at that time. So it wasn't like she worked for him for years. It was just a short period of time. My sister did it at her house. My mom did it over there and we would pass them back and forth. You right. know, the kids would, you know, and everybody that, did them. And that winter and spring of 91 was the only time you lived right down the road from your mom. Mm-hmm. So, cause what Jamie told me, but he remembers that night best he can remember is, that you guys went to your parents for Easter. You guys got back. The kids went to bed and you guys were sitting around making, putting golf right. tee bags together. Like, I don't remember if, like, if that, if it was that night, but that was certainly that period right. of time. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, I can't remember every single. And no, yeah. And I don't, ex- I don't expect you to. Was it a thing that you guys did most evenings? Like, did you spend most evenings packing these things together? Just whenever, you know, we could get the kids. To- get out of them. Right. Once the kids got in them, they were everywhere. Right. So if you You get the kids to bed. Right. You You had to get the kids distracted or doing something else. 
And it's kind of funny because it's just like everybody did it. And it actually right. became kind of therapeutic. I think you were sitting there, you put them together, you know, like right. your own little assembly line in the house. We got a little right. factory going on. Well, he's, he told me that if I had come to his house in 1991, he would have given me a beer and a bag of golf tees or a TV tray and had me doing it too. I came yeah. the house. It's probably pretty weird, though, you know, <laughs> And so, and he mentioned that he was doing that for extra money because he was doing like drywall work. And he said he'd hurt his hand and his hand was in a cast. And so he couldn't work doing drywall. Right. Do you remember that? I was, you know, um, I don't remember what times his hand was in the cast. I know that that was a thing at the trial, wasn't it, about his cast? I think so. I mean, I intentionally at this point went in the investigation. I haven't read the transcripts. Right. I, I think the thing about spin, that just... cast was is that he didn't follow through with his any of his he doctors took it off himself. He took it off himself. Right. He never went back to the doctor until he rebroke it again and later on and had to get pins put in it. And so it wasn't like the only time he had a cast on that hand either because right. he ended up rebreaking it. Right. Now, he told me that later. He that, that mm-hmm. later he had done that. So when I think about the his hand being in the cast, I I don't know which time it was. You know right. what I mean? There was he few times. he just he in his memory he associates the cast with the golf tees because because he was in the cast, he wasn't able to do drywall work. And so the golf tees were kind of a big deal to him because it was some money right. coming in because right. he couldn't work. Right. But I do know that that was something that we were, you know, trying to figure out, like, is there a picture or something we could come up with mm-hmm. that that cast was on still? Right. And I don't think we ever could come up with anything because, you know, back then you didn't have phones, you didn't take pictures. Right. You don't just sit around and take pictures of each other like yeah, people didn't do have now. Phone. Yeah, you had your little 110 <laughs> camera with the... If it was yeah. now, there'd be like 500 selfies of just sitting there <laughs> right. putting right. golf tees together. <laughs> right. <laughs> but no, back then, didn't do that. Hashtag golf tee life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let me ask you this, and it's it's two questions. At the time Jamie was arrested, was he your favorite person in the world? No. He's still not. No, no that's fine. That's fine. That's what I'm asking. Because what I'm getting at is when I'm investigating a case and I come across a potential suspect, a new lead, the first person that I go to is their ex-wife. Right. Because usually if there's someone that has some dirt, that's who's going to spill it. And there's maybe some people that have a mentality of that you're, you know, you're protecting your husband. I mean, you guys were right. split up, divorced. He had another girlfriend, right? Down in, like, he, he was not your favorite person by any means at that time. We were not getting along at that time at all. Right. And that was probably the worst time we were getting along ever. Right. And since then, he's been in prison. Mm-hmm. And we really haven't, like, I mean, we don't talk anymore, you know? Right. It's kind of just, the kids are welcome to talk to him anytime they want, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But I didn't really keep up with it like I should. I should have probably, you know, but it just, it ended that way. So I kind of like, maybe I took advantage of that, you know? Right. Yeah. That's a good way to end the rubber, <laughs> yeah. put a rubber stamp yes, on the end should. of it. You know, we weren't getting along at the time. We weren't together. You know, we weren't even, didn't even like each other at that point. So second question is, do you think Jamie Snow killed Bill Little? No. Any doubt in your mind? No. Even though he's not your favorite person? No. I, I mean, I don't have any doubt at all. And I really wish I had something more to say to, you know. There's nothing more to say. That I always not- feel like I should, you know. And I think people like my kids and Jamie, you know, they all look at me like, you should. I don't know. You know, I, I try. I All I've tried to do from the day one was to tell the truth. And I'm not good at at speaking. You know, I get a lot of anxiety. And I sound unsure of myself sometimes. <laughs> and You don't right now. And so then, you know, people are looking at me like, why is their voice shaky? You know, like, it's not because I'm not telling the truth. It's just because I, I'm not good at it. You know, that's just who I am. I'm not. 
Jamie was always an extrovert, you know. He liked people. He liked being around people. I was the opposite. I don't, I don't really like people, you know. I'd rather be at home. (laughs) I'd rather be at home with my kids. You know, I don't need a lot of friends. So, you know, it's the whole thing has been hard for me because I'm not somebody, but I want to do whatever I can, you know, because I know what the right thing is. But I don't know. I just, I always feel, I, I feel guilty about not being able to express myself more or maybe. Well, I hope this is a good opportunity for that. And I will tell you that I have not made an opinion one way or another on this case until really this moment sitting right here. And you have convinced me, I believe 100% that you are telling the absolute truth. And that has convinced me that there's no possible way he could have done this. Right. And, and I don't think that you should ever beat yourself up about what you could have, should have, would have done in the past. You haven't had the opportunity to do it. Nobody's ever mm-hmm. given you the opportunity to speak your truth. And all you've ever done is tell the truth. Yeah. It's weird when you have to keep defending mm-hmm. yourself against the, you know what I mean? Like, it's right. weird because, like, shouldn't they, ha- shouldn't they have had to prove something? Right. Not us have to keep proving to them that, you know, and the whole time that's what I thought, you know, but it's, it's just been crazy. And Well, Monday you'll get 50,000 Facebook requests, so you have lots of friends. <laughs> <laughs> No, I try to keep my Facebook friends. <laughs> right. Too. Yeah, do that. No. <laughs> With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The remainder of my discussion with Tammy centered around how her sister-in-law, Susan, ended up finding herself being Jamie's co-defendant in Bill Little's murder. Prior to this discussion, my belief was simply that Susan was drugged into this because the police needed to find someone who could fill the role of Jamie's driver that night. But the longer I talked to Tammy, the picture became clearer and clearer. It appears to me that Susan made herself a target because she was afraid of the police and Tammy wasn't. So, so let, let's talk a little bit about how you got to the point of testifying that you, you, you've mentioned a couple times that, that the police threatened you or they, you said you got pulled over and they pulled you in. Was that in like 99 or did all this happen in 1999 or did it happen at all along the way? And I was just trying to figure this out in my mind because, so then I guess cats, I was actually Googling this last night. Cats and Barkas didn't come on the case until later in the case. Right. So it had to be in later on that they, because. They picked it up in 98 and that's when they started going after Jamie. I swear it was them. I know it was Barkas and I know it was cats. The day that they pulled me and Susan in there. Now, how did that happen? Were you just, did they come to your house? No, they just pulled me over every time I left. Like, sit down the street and just pulled me over. Like, how many times do you think that happened? A lot. I had a lot of traffic tickets. <laughs> and they usually could find something, you know. I right. was driving an old junkie car. It'd be like, the license plate is dirty or something. You know, always something. And I'd be like, yeah, okay. Well, we got to take you downtown. They want to talk to you. You know, it wouldn't matter if I was on my way to work, you know. So so this was multiple times. So you'd pull out, they would pull you over for whatever. Whatever. And then they would take you downtown and talk to you about the murder? Yeah. Every time that happened? Mm Mm-hmm. To the point where I had actually talked to a few people, like, there's got to be, like, harassment charges or something at this point that I can press against them because it's interfering in my everyday life to not be able to drive down the street without getting pulled over by the cops. And took it down the police station and helped for their, you know, sometimes it was longer, sometimes it was shorter. However, they, you know, whatever they felt, they were rude, you know. And they would put you in an interrogation room. They always put me in a room, and then usually it was like cats would, he would start off, you know, being, you know, like, oh, this is it. You know, this is the time you go into prison. Okay. 
So what, what have they threatened you? They threatened with you that you were going to go to prison? They would always tell me, like, not every time, but towards the end of it, they would be like, we have a warrant. We have a warrant for your arrest. And you're going to Dwight. You're not going to be able to see your kids grow up. This is your last chance. And I'd be like, again today? No. But. And this, so they would tell you that they actually had a warrant yeah. for which was bullshit. Your bond you know that, right? is million dollars or something, you know, I'd be like, I mean, I really didn't believe him at the time. I, I right. but still, so you know, was in the it, back of your mind, you're like, I hope not, you know. Right, I hope that's not true. So but they, so I didn't would, think they, you know, I never, like, I didn't believe him. Right. You know, I, I was just like, whatever. I don't, I'm not it's, doing it's, this. What, what was the out? Was it, it was, we have a warrant for your arrest for this murder and you're going to prison. Was there an or? You're, you need to tell us something because otherwise you're going to go with Jamie and then your kids are going to have no parents. So, so they, they told you that if you would tell them that Jamie did it, that you wouldn't have to go to prison. Yeah. Then I guess that's what they meant. And this happened multiple times, multiple times. And your sister-in-law, Susan, who ended up being Jamie's co-defendant, had they talked to her at all before? The time you just happened to be in the same car as her when you got pulled over? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, that night when, or that day, I think we were going out, so I think it was later in the day. I know that she had never talked to him before that because she was completely caught off guard by the whole thing, you know? So, so her, this is sickening to me. My blood's boiling right now. She got roped into having to go to trial for murder. Because she happened to be in the fucking car with you? And she was the one that... That's the only thing I can think of that would have brought her into it. I don't see how else it would have ever brought Susan I don't see a police it. report anywhere that has anything to do with her prior yeah. to that. And all the people they got to, like, say stuff. And they, I don't remember them ever saying anything about Susan. Why would they? They didn't really, you know... Right. They might have known her from around town. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, she... It wasn't like... She hung out with us all the time. She was my family. Right. And we were pretty close, but her and Jamie weren't that close. So if they had done something together, then why wouldn't all these people who wanted to say Jamie said he did it, why would none of them say that Susan said she did it? Right. I, I, that's what doesn't make any sense to me is how they ever put them two together. Well, it's making sense to me only because I've worked crooked cop wrongful conviction cases I mean, that has probably been the biggest question for all of us is like, how in the world does Susan get involved? That's the answer. You telling me that story to me is the answer. I can't put together a scenario where Jamie could have anything to do with this. I can't put together a scenario that makes sense where Susan has anything to do with this. But I can absolutely now put together a scenario about how when you describe when 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 you guys got pulled over, they take you in there. And they put you in one room and her in another one. And she comes over scared to death, telling you, you need to say something. Mm-hmm. That's why she got charged with murder. Because they thought they could convince her yeah, to give them Jamie. I mean, they didn't even really, like, when Susan was in jail, they they were, like, telling her exactly what they needed her to say. It wasn't like they were even trying to get her to tell them a story, you right. know? So they were they, telling her what to they say. They were telling her what she needed to get up there and say. So it's not like the cops, like, in all reality, thought she knew that. I don't see any other explanation for her involvement other than literally they were trying to find someone to flip on Jamie. They weren't phasing you, and she was scared. The way you described her as being scared that day is probably, in my opinion, exactly how she got roped into it. Because they, they, they saw her as being a little weak. Because she was scared. It's crazy. Did you ever get any pressure from the district attorney or state's attorney's office or any of the lawyers or just the police? Mm, I can't really remember. I mean, I remember mostly just like them two detectives. They were the ones that harassed me the most. Like Detective Crow, they brought me down there a couple times to talk to him. Mm -hmm. But he was always respectful, you know, just like... Jamie still says he likes him. Well, he was like an actual human being, you know, he was like, you've got to, you know, tell us what you know, or you're going to get in trouble and blah, blah, blah. He would go to my parents and be like, if she doesn't 
tell us something, you know, they're going to take her down with him, but, you know, but I could sit there and be like, listen, you're wrong. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know anything about this. You know, I have nothing for you. And he wouldn't come back at me like, well, I guess we're going to lock you up now and you're never going to see your kids again. He didn't like threaten me. He was just. Jamie described him as an honest cop, and that's the way it sounds. I mean, that's that's not an uncommon tactic to try to get somebody to talk. But what you don't do is threaten them and lie to them and tell them they're going to prison for the rest of their life if they don't tell you a story, which is what well, I the later investigators were doing. Yeah, that's Cat's. That was his main thing to do. After speaking with Tammy, I am now convinced that Jamie Snow did not kill Bill Little. He couldn't have. Throughout the course of our discussion, we were able to nail down Jamie's alibi for the night of March 31st, 1991. There was exactly one Easter when Jamie and Tammy lived in the trailer park down the road from her parents and sister. In 1990, they lived in St. Louis. And in 1992 and 93, they were living in Florida. The Easter that Tammy remembers, when she and Jamie celebrated Easter at home with the kids in the morning, then went to have dinner at her parents' house, and then spent the rest of the evening at home together, could only have been the day that Bill was killed. And had Jamie's attorney at trial taken the time to narrow these dates down, I don't believe that he ever would have been convicted. The jury never had the opportunity to hear and understand the actual timeline. In fact, It had never even occurred to Jamie that there was a way to prove that the Easter Tammy was remembering was the Easter of 91. We were able to sort it out even beyond that in the fact that her specific memory, Tammy's specific memory, was you guys living in the trailer park right down the street from her parents and that you guys walked over to her parents' house, you did Easter at home, walked over there, did Easter, ate, and then walked back home and then spent the rest of the night at home. What we figured out was that only happened one time. And because when Junior was born, so the Easter of 1990, you were living in St. Louis, you weren't living in that trailer park. In 1992, you guys were living in Florida. In 1993, you guys were living in Florida. There was only one time, the one period, a short stretch of time in 1991 when you guys were living down the street from her parents and could have walked down there on Easter, which means her memory of what happened that day and your memory of what happened that day did occur on the day that Bill Little was killed. Damn, I never thought about that. I never thought like that, Bob. It's pretty amazing that you picked up on that. Man, that's crazy. But you're right. You're absolutely, you are absolutely right, man. That is, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. That's, that's unbelievable. That's amazing to me. I wish your lawyers had picked up. I learned two things from my interview with Tammy. Number one, Jamie had a solid alibi and therefore couldn't have been at the Clark station on Easter Sunday night. And number two, all signs seem to be pointing towards this wrongful conviction not being an accident. Once Katz and Barks took over the investigation, it seems that they would stop at nothing, including putting an innocent woman on trial for murder to secure a conviction against Jamie Snow. Tammy was threatened repeatedly with prison and losing her children, but she never wavered from the truth. She knows that Jamie was at home on the night of the murder, but her sister-in-law Susan made the mistake of showing signs of weakness through her fear of being sent to prison while pregnant. Katz and Barkas jumped onto Susan when they no doubt listened in to her telling Tammy in the interrogation room that she needs to tell them something. But these two, who in my opinion are crooked detectives, didn't count on Susan having something that they themselves didn't possess. Integrity. She called their bluff and refused to tell their lies, even when faced with life in prison. She continued to speak the truth, She beat the corrupt system, the same system that later claimed the rest of Jamie Snow's life. 
Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Mike Bussing is our executive producer, and Shane Yoder is our sound engineer. All music for the show is created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. Our Season 7 logo was created by me, with assistance from Zach Weaver and Shane Yoder. All of our font across all of our logos and banners was created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Natalie Alicia, Pamela Westby, Pam Maples, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com or you can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter. The show's handle is at TruthJusticePod, and my personal Twitter handle is at BobRuffTruth. And you can even follow Mike at MBussing89. For more personal interactions, feel free to follow me on Instagram at TruthJusticePod. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice.